0: Good morning. I'll be reading from Luke 2, 1 through 14. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased.
1: There we go. I can never f- figure out which way to slide the switch. Thank you, Chris. You know, um, I haven't stood here for a month, and all God's people said. And what I can tell you is is that when I stood here last time, I did not feel very good. I feel great today. It was a short sermon then, so, except it is Christmas Day, and, and I've heard from countless of you who thought that those who've been preaching the last few weeks did a great job, and I think that was interpreted as they were very short. Could you be? So it's good to be together today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are not the ones for whom we were looking. We are the ones for whom you were looking, for whom you determined not to be God without For whom you came to be for us and with us, we rejoice in your love, your mercy, and your grace this Christmas Day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say. Kate Malarkey and Tolly Hart, they, they met in the eighth grade. Their unlikely friendship grows over 30 years Kristen Hanna's novels, Firefly Lane and Fly Away, which tell their story, have been turned into a Netflix series currently sitting in the top ten, that is the global top ten for Netflix series. Kate, Kate, Kate and Tully, they grow up on Firefly Lane, and their chance meeting comes at just the right time, just The right time. Why? Well, because Kate was kind of the nerdy of the two. She was kind of, uh, she was on the bottom of the social rung in her class. Tully? Quite the opposite. She was one of the more popular girls, and their unlikely friendship that endured decades became life giving with every different experience that they encountered. Tolly may have been one of the most popular, but she had to hide the realities of an inattentive mother who was often strung out on drugs, even incarcerated. No matter what they faced, their friendship, that is their friendship with one another, proved to be a saving grace. In one instance, as they had gotten older, nearing their 40s, very young, I say, Tully intended to have a celebration of freedom, fireworks, a a big to-do, and it was up to Kate to put it on, and they were going to celebrate. But what Tully was hiding is that she wasn't really free, not really free at all. Everything that had happened, everything that was building, that had been built, and she's trying to put together has left her captive. She had by this time helped her mother out of prison and tediously and frustratingly attempted to get to know her mother, know her own story, know what happened to her father, how she got here, why her mother had abandoned her. Her mother, now sober, was at the party, at the big shindig, at the big freedom celebration and seeing her daughter and seeing her, well, seeing through her, really, she decided to give her daughter some advice. She looks at her. She knows that all the things that she is doing to cover up the pain inside is having no effect. Cloud, her mother, tells Tolly that all of these external ways that she's trying to salve the internal pain are not going to help. They do not help. What she needs, Cloud tells her, is already within you. Tully did not receive this very well. She didn't want to be preached to by a mother who had abandoned her, neglected her, had yet not given all the explanations. And even if she had, the one she had, they didn't quite cover up the pain. The novel makes clear that this advice was not good. This advice was not good for Tully. It was not good to tell her that what you need is already in you because Tully cannot will herself better. No matter how much she might have something in her, she cannot, that's the storyline, she cannot will herself better. I mean, I ought to throw this in, even, even nearing the end of this second season, even nearing the end, she comes off as though she's got it all together, but there's still something missing, still something unreconciled, still a good bit of pain. Though she has covered it up with different things this time, she still cannot will herself better. These two girls, now in their 40s, have become estranged over a poor decision. And what they both know is that the help they need, the help that they really need, is found in the other. Not within, not inside them, but what they really need is in their friendship. The Apostle Paul doesn't give us the details of Jesus' birth. He makes no reference to Joseph and Mary. Instead, instead, Paul makes a point about time and timing: time and timing. And so to Titus he writes, what would be his version of the Christmas story? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. Has appeared. The word is the word that we. In fact, we'll celebrate some seasons after January sixth, called Epiphany. It is the light came on. It is a, a word used to reveal something by, if you will, by flashlight or by sunlight or by moonlight, but some source of light has made you able to see. Paul sounds a lot like the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 who says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. To the Galatian Christians, Paul makes the point about time that before the appearing of God's grace, we sought comfort in laws. And they would serve as both a guide and a weapon. These laws would serve as a guide and a weapon. And what those in the Reformed, around the time of the Reformation said, there's a first use of the law, and the law itself is really just there to tell us, here are the things that will make for peace. And so if you go back and you read over the Ten Commandments, for instance, you discover that if one keeps them all, then you can reasonably be assured that you'll find peace with your neighbors. Peace with one another. But the laws also, we discover, are used against us. They're weapons. I create laws for you, you create laws for me, and then we insist you live up to them. You fulfill them. And every time you don't, we're there telling you that you have not. So laws that were intended to demonstrate how we can get along, we learn to like laws, that is the laws we create for one another. So what we do is we weaponize the good for our own advantage, imprisoning ourselves and others with our desires and our deceit. The result is that time is a period of judgment That's what Paul is making point in Titus, or to Titus, and to the Christians in Galatia. The time, the time prior to the appearing of the grace of God, that time, that time frame, is all about judgment. You, me, we, all of us being judged. But Paul wants to make the point. He wants to make the point clear that now that grace has appeared, Salvation has come to all at the right time, at just the right time, he says. So, no longer because of the coming of grace does judgment rule. Instead, it's the grace of God that rules. It is Jesus. Cloud was wrong. What we need, what helps us, is not in us, but a gift to us. A gift to us to us. The gift of friendship is a story Kristen Hannah tells with its ups and downs, its ins and its outs, its winds, its complexities. What does Luke do? Luke gives us a birth narrative. He tells us about Jesus and what Paul makes clear to Titus, the gift of the grace of God is the gift of a friend. Maybe you remember the scene or the setting where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. It was a monumental shift in relationship. Everyone who followed a rabbi or a teacher in that day was the servant or subject of the rabbi or the teacher. Jesus flips it around and says, No, we are friends. And the friendship that resulted changed the lives of the disciples, opened them up to great possibilities. Whatever needed healing was healed in that relationship. And here we have it. Chris read it. We have these shepherds working out in the fields. Like Kate, they were on the lower rung of the social order And for them, they had learned that out of sight was out of mind. They couldn't be ridiculed. They they couldn't be made sport of. They didn't have to endure embarrassment. So they remained in the fields far away. Yep, they might have stunk a little bit. But they were free from the ongoing judgments of the powerful. And even at that, they found no freedom in that because they were suffering exclusion. They had not been included. And they're in the field minding their own business, doing what they do to avoid those sorts of painful reminders. And at a particular time, they were interrupted. The news of great joy came to a collection of nobodies while in the darkness of night. Shepherds, shepherds, (laughs) those nobodies were the first to hear that peace had come to us. It's not already in us peace comes to us, it's not already in us. Isaiah makes the same point a few centuries earlier. The light had come to those in darkness, and rather than judgment, God would be for them wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Even more, Isaiah said, the time would change His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time on and forevermore. He describes the coming shift in time, the coming character of time for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire, he preached. We look at our world, and apart from the good news, the good news that was heard on that day, that day in the city of David, a Savior, a Messiah, the Lord was born, all we can see is the darkness around us. Let me say that again. Apart from the good news heard that day that we hear hopefully every week, that we remind ourselves on Christmas Day, apart from that good news, we look around and all we see is darkness. I don't know if you're much in for memes. You know those cute sayings that show up on social media from time to time? Some are pretty ridiculous, but some really good from, on occasion. And there's one who gets the point better. We could look around at the world and say, Man, look at what things have come to. Or, or we could look at the gift of God and say, Look at what has come into the world. It's a change in perspective, it's an understanding of a shift in time. It may not yet be complete, but it is different. And so we could succumb to all the pessimism that is at work in the world and say, look at what the world has come to. But we don't look with optimism either because that's internal. What we look at is through the good news. It says, look at the gift that has come. Look at what God has given to the world. You do know that the first Christians celebrated Easter first. First. It was the primary Christian celebration. You, you, you may not know that it took nearly four centuries before the first Christmas was observed. Did you know that? Yeah, the, the first reason to celebrate was the resurrection of Jesus. It came to their attention four centuries later that we probably need to be telling the story of what gave us the resurrection. We know the risen Christ, but what's the backstory? What's the backstory to resurrection? We cannot well, we cannot overstate without the resurrection, there would be no Christmas. No need to tell the story. No need to talk about Mary or Joseph or wise men or shepherds or angel announcers. No need. No resurrection means that birth was incidental, maybe coincidental in some ways, but just merely incidental. And the church understood that. The church understood we've got to tell the reason the resurrection matters. We need to tell how it started. And so John, in John's gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word. John is drawing to the mind of his audience, hey, let's call back to creation. Remember Genesis 1? In beginning... It's not in the beginning, it's in beginning. The is absent, same as in John. There is no in the beginning, it's in beginning. You and I worry about when the beginning was, and all we need to really pay attention to is there was a beginning. In beginning, whenever it was, wherever it was, and how it was, in beginning was the word, John says. The Christmas story for John is that God and Jesus Christ took on our flesh. The Word became flesh. That's John's Christmas story. We've got Matthew's Christmas account. We've got Luke's Christmas account. Mark doesn't have one, doesn't even attempt it. John shrouds his Christmas story in the Word made flesh. And the word flesh? The word flesh is rarely, if ever, used in any positive way in the New Testament. The flesh is always our nemesis. It's always our adversary. It's always our opponent. So what in the world is John getting at when John says, and the Word became flesh? What he's saying is that Jesus took up our flesh that needed to be healed. He took up us, our flesh, and in His faithful living He healed the very human Jesus Healed by his life. He healed what had become our own darkness. And resisting the healing, we killed him. Resisting the healing, we killed him. Just before that 4th of July celebration, Tully had gone out and she had bought her mother a brand new car. I don't know what it translates in the 90s to the 2020s, but it was a $57,000 car. Candy, apple, red sports car. I'd have taken the keys. In fact, I dare say if someone had come to you this morning and on your way out, handed you a set of keys, and there were however many drivers we have here, and they offered you a $57,000 candy, apple, red sports car, you would take the keys. I would take the keys we all would take the keys she gave her mother the keys handed her the keys and she says what is this well I got you a car I like taking the bus I don't mind walking at every turn at every argument Tully made to give the gift to her mother her mother resisted cloud said no what's the next thing you do well you go to your best friend Kate and you say Kate here you go here are the keys and Kate said I couldn't take that that's too much I I couldn't do that I, I couldn't take it one by one they declined the gift stuck with the gift It ended up being the one thing in the story, the one thing in the story that represents her poor decisions, creating the rupture in her friendship of over 30 years with Kate. We'll have to wait until next summer to find out if they reconcile. Seven episodes to come in June of 2023. Thus is the fate of your anticipation. But we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to find out what happened when we turned down the gift of God's self given to us in Jesus the Christ. We don't have to wait to see what will happen when we said no to the God who gave himself to us. We don't have to wait because three days later, after killing him, after resisting the gift, God gave the gift to us anyway. We don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. We already know that despite our protests and our resistance, God gave God's self back to us. That's the gift. The resurrection of Jesus who suffered and died because he was not the gift we wanted but was and is the gift we need. And now no longer under our own judgments and the judgment of others, we hear the good news again today. Don't be afraid I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah the Lord what do we say today receive the gift receive the gift for in Jesus Christ God gives us God's self in time now with us so that we may say look what has come into the world not look at what the world has come to but look at what has come into the world and what has come into the world the gift of of the full absolution of all of our sins, the cancellation of condemnation and the God with us, the God who has determined Himself not to be God without you, without us. Would you pray with me?